Hi, I'm Christos Gage, writer of Superior Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, and Spider Island, and you're listening to The Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to The Amazing Spider-Talk My name is Dan Gavazin and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for what's our third ever episode of our coverage of Civil War-related stories. I had to really... Parse whatever that was going to be. Yeah, uh, I didn't know where you're going with that one, Dan. But okay. <laughs> no, it's true. We've covered Civil War One in two different fashions: the movie okay. and the comic. All right, all right. So there you go. We hope you. Anyway, we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, Dan, and uh, as you indicated, for this episode, we will be discussing the miniseries that just uh, wrapped up over the past few weeks, Amazing Spider-Man Civil War Two, by Christos Gage and Travel Foreman. Uh, is it travel or is it travel? Or, <laughs> um, Let's just go with travel. We'll say travel, and if, if we're wrong, someone please correct us, because we know you will. Um, then we give away some prizes, and then we're going to have Swarm's B title reviews. Actun. Mark, you know, Clash is back and he's better than ever, and I mean it. Uh, it's not a very high bar, but he is better than ever. So I don't know about you, I'm eager to discuss this book, and I don't care who knows it. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, What will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Yeah, Dan. So um, I'm not going to lie. When when I agreed to start reviewing this series for you on Superior Spider Talk, I, I kind of thought this was going to be a waste of time because um, good I don't thing I have all that blackmail on you. I know, right? <laughs> uh, I was kind of like, oh, what am I going to get my what am I getting myself into here? Because I mean. When was the last time a miniseries featuring Spider-Man that connected to a larger event was really a good read? Like a really high quality read that just didn't feel like standalone filler designed to get a couple extra bucks out of crazy fans like us. I mean, what, what was the last one that we got? We got some standalone issues, I guess, during um, 
like uh, Age of Ultron. Yeah, Age of Ultron, and Siege uh, had had the uh, standalone issues. Yeah, Inhumanity had that standalone issue, which was weird. If yeah, you remember, that was a weird one. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know if you count like those Axis miniseries with Hobgoblin and Carnage, although those weren't Spider-Man books. I mean, they're in that. And those orbit. were good books too. Yeah, they were good books, but like, but like, I mean, in terms of like a book starring Peter Parker, Spider-Man, um, that's connected. I mean, I, I, you know, like, I don't even know, like, when the last time, you know, Fear Itself, we had one, which it was okay, but it wasn't, wasn't as good as this. Yeah, so, no. so yeah, the moral of the story, like, like I've been indicating here, was I was very pleasantly surprised that. Not only was this an enjoyable read, but like there was some stuff in this that felt like it mattered. Um, this wasn't just f- throwaway thing designed to rob me of sixteen dollars over the span of f- four months. Um, you know, I will say just to kind of throw it all out there as a starting point, um, the least interesting point parts of this story is when like it got wrapped up in the actual Civil War two drama do you agree with that yeah i mean it's the civil war 2 stuff is really just used as like a a launching point for this story and in that regard it's kind of interesting but i i think you're mainly referring to the fourth chapter where the actual story wraps up perhaps a little too quickly and we're kind of we get all this civil war 2 stuff which yeah funny i mean enough, with that- reading civil war 2 issue 5 the end of that book has Spider-Man kind of shaking hands with Captain Marvel and joining her team. But when we see Captain Marvel's team in the actual Civil War II book, he's not on it. Yeah, well, I mean, let's let's put that aside for a second. I mean, in terms of what Civil War II is trying to convey, because that's a whole other thing. I mean, I also think the, the, the first issue kind of dealt with the mechanics of it in, in its introduction of Ulysses and like, you know, Ulysses is the inhuman. I mean, just to, you know, again, the, 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 the plot of Civil War II is, you know, this inhuman Ulysses comes forward with these abilities to see the future. And the, and the debate this time is, you know, whether Marvel's heroes should act upon those visions or, you know, Tony Stark's is kind of coming at it of what if they're influenced by some kind of bias or, you know, like some, you know, it forces them to kind of fulfill a prophecy that didn't necessarily need to be fulfilled um so which is actually kind of like what the consequences are in this series in terms of what happens with clash's arc but you know we'll get to that in a second but um yeah it it, it definitely kind of felt like they had to service civil war two because again that was a tie-in series but like once this thing kind of kicks off and we get this dynamic about Peter and Clash or Clayton in Parker Industries and, and Harry Osborne or Lyman as well. Like, like this was probably some of the better Parker Industries stuff we've gotten in a comic as well, would you say? I would think – I would put my foot down and say it is the best Parker Industries story that we've gotten in a comic because Peter actually feels like a real boss here. You know, we, we've complained about that series that, like, how is it that Peter is successful both as a civilian and as Spider-Man at the same time? And here, you really get this weight on his shoulders about, like, how every decision, you know, 
it it weighs on him or costs him something in some way. His his superheroing, you know, does influence his role as a CEO. And and I like that the most about the story because it for once felt like a guy managing a company in some way. Yeah, I mean, and not to keep trashing like other sidebar series that we've gotten in recent years, but like you know, you kind of talking about really getting a sense of Peter as a CEO kind of made me think back to the episode we did about the uh, the Amazing Grace point one series and where we were kind of like you know they kind of in the beginning of that series touched on how Peter being a CEO might change him. Um, and then they kind of completely abandoned it for a lot of other random stuff. Um, but in this case, not so much how it changes him like in a negative way, but like, you know, you really, like you said, you really get a sense of what that responsibility is and how it's a different responsibility than his responsibility as Spider-Man or his responsibility as a nephew or his responsibility as a husband. It's a whole other kettle of fish, so to speak. And, and, um, you know, as, as you alluded to, I think it it was just really well written was very, this was a very character centric story, but when it did get action, action packed, it was fun action um but i mean this at the end of the day this story was all about the characters right absolutely and and again uh, we're we're gonna save this till we're blue in the face the ones that are about the characters are the ones we like the best typically yeah well you know certainly ones that are about character and can balance balance the fun side of it too um but um yeah i mean because I guess the central drama here in, in this series, you know, just as a quick recap, is how um, Ulysses has this this vision about Clayton, you know, Clayton Cole going rogue and becoming Clash again. And it kind of sets up this, this whole domino effect of decisions made by Peter that make it a self-fulfilling prophecy. And to me, like, these are the best kind of Peter Parker stories where, you know, because of who he is as a, as a person, like, even, even when he's trying to do the right thing and the noble thing, because he's not perfect, because he makes mistakes, because he um, can be a little impulsive... He 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 is he's responsible for Clayton's bad turn, and I mean he now has like he has that on his conscience. He basically made an asset become a rogue, um, or go back to being a rogue, and and like to me those are like the central dramas of Spider-Man. You know, like how how you know if Peter maybe did something differently, he wouldn't have a bigger problem on his hands. So um, I thought that was really well conceived by Gage and in, in how he scripted this. And there's that, which is a great like initial conflict. But D- Gage does a wonderful job of you know giving us insight into Clayton's mindset, mm. and you really become familiar with this character. And I know that we got some of that before, but like this really won me over to like his concerns and I found myself agreeing with him in a lot of ways. Like when he yells at Peter about keeping him on a short leash, you know, where he's safe and can't challenge him. And it's an interesting, you know, thing where I think everybody's had that feeling about their boss, you know, where if you're too good at your job, you know, 
it, it is a little threatening, you know, and I, I could see that perspective from him. So the initial conflict of will he, won't he, you know, dress up as Clash is quite definitively answered early on. But then there's a point in, in issue three, and I think this is definitely the peak of this story where, you know, uh, they are fighting the robot master, who we'll talk about in a second, who's just awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, they finish fighting the robot master and Spider-Man is scolding Clash on the behalf of Peter and I guess like renegotiating the terms of his employment saying you can come work with me but you can't work in you know audio. You can't work in, in Sonics in or Sonics, whatever. Which is kind of a weird line to draw uh, because I don't think it's his Sonics that are the problem more than it is his kind of like – Attitude as a person, right? Um, but uh, okay, that's fine. Um, but the but the uh, that that scene and how the decision that that Clayton Cole makes at that final moment, I was just crossing my fingers and and getting anxious reading this comic, uh, waiting to find out what decision he would make. And ultimately, he turns on Spider Man, and it was really heartbreaking to me because I had invested so much in this character through this story did you have the same emotional roller coaster absolutely i mean this was this was far and away the most i i sympathized with with clayton um you know not not to be lost in engage his scripts like like you know travel foreman you know i'm going to talk about what he did in terms of action sequences but like i i I don't remember the last time in a spider book the the actual human faces looked as expressive as his. Is that did you do you agree with that? Because like I like I felt like a lot of Clayton's pain and anguish as he's like running through, you know, how he's kind of interpreting his own abuse and, and mistreatment, like really came across and in the facial expressions, it was really well emote, visually emoted. Um, and you know, like it's, it's been, I don't know. I seriously, I, I maybe JRJR. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think of like the last artist on a, on a book where that this consistently kept hitting those emotions visually. Yeah. I agree with you about that. I mean, I think I don't love a lot of his background work and I think some of his paneling and perspective use is a little uncomfortable, but I agree with you about the the faces and the action sequences. They are really kinetic and they're, uh, yeah, really gut punchy, like emotive stuff. So, yeah. And, and it's not like we loved R.B. Silva's work over the past two issues of the Amazing Spider-Man proper. And his stuff is great. Um, but I, I, I don't know that I felt the kind of like uh, – it's kind of it's, – it's iconographic um, this is not iconographic, but like in all the ways that it, like I think not doing that kind of art uh, can enhance something. It's not like I feel like Mike Diodato's stuff looks photorealistic to a certain point, but I don't feel like it's very emotive. This kind mm. of strikes that balance where it looks like a real person, but for all the good reasons, you can get emotions out of that. Yeah, I, I I mean I I think I probably liked Foreman's. It sounds it just sounds like I liked him a little more than you did. Um, I mean like I I I definitely after this series want to see 
him get some burn on one of the main books. I just, I just think there's some potential there and, and, you know, maybe with the, um, you know, depending on who the storyteller is, it, 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 it could be for a really interesting, interesting dynamic. But, um, well, speaking of my favorite thing about him, which will be a good seg into uh, talking with the robot master is, does yeah. anybody draw better robots than this guy? Yeah. And lots of robots, like robots lots after robots, robots after robots. <laughs> um, well, robots take the form of, Giant robot. They yeah. all climb on each other's back and walk around the city. Yeah, I mean, it just it, it felt very, very kinetic and 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 yeah, like like you know, you, 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 I can almost like hear the clanging as I'm reading the page from the visuals. You know what I mean? Of these robots moving, you know, joining together, and and you know, total props to Christos Gage. I mean, you know, when when. I, I don't think until he came on the show and gave an interview to you, Dan, that I realized just how much a, a student of Spider-Man gauges, for lack of a better word. You know what I mean? Like he, he clearly has a very large grasp of the continuity and the history. Um, and, and then, you know, in terms of a story, I felt that got demonstrated here by busting out the mothballs on Mendel Strom as the robot master. I mean, just, just a total pleasant surprise. I mean, when was the last time we got Strom in a story? I mean, are we talking like nineties? Uh, no, there's been more recent than that. Um, okay. There was the, uh, the Peter Parker, Spider-Man, uh, series. Oh, okay. So like Jen- with him. So Jenkins Buckingham stuff, maybe, or yeah, I think, it, I think it was issue. Yeah. It's volume two issue 27. And it's a really great issue. I I would recommend it. Um, All right. Well, it's like the I'm, death of Mendelstrom, but then he comes back later. I forget what the exact issue is. It might have been in Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. I'm not sure, but I know he comes back in a way. Um, uh, but in that, I would recommend that issue 27 of Peter Parker Spider-Man Volume Two uh, because he's just a head. Yeah, I remember Spider-Man. the issue now. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the I mean the bottom line being that this is not a character that gets leaned on all that often, but I mean I felt he was just used perfectly here as kind of a a catalyst to, you know, first kind of tease Clash's evil turn and then we kind of got faked out uh and then you know eventually Clash goes the way he's gonna go, but like I, I, I kind of like how Clash. You know, this guy is, even though he, there's there's a cool factor to seeing Strom on the page, he's still he's still a goof. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he's bringing his like blob robot from way back in Amazing Spider-Man 37 with him. Well, I, I, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the blob robot, that goofy <laughs> thing. Yeah, uh, from yeah that that Amazing Spider-Man 37. So just that is such a those last those post those post master planner issues by Ditko remain some of the weirdest. <laughs> um, but, uh, but but yeah no and I, and yeah Foreman added a lot to that. So I mean again the center you know the, the, that these these are just the things that like just stuff coming together, making for an unexpected surprise of a series here. You know you have a writer who has a lot of respect. Uh, and reverence for the history of Spider-Man, um, kind of doing some fun things in, you know, probably with the understanding, not that these, this book doesn't, doesn't matter, but it's like, you know, without the pressures of we need to tell 
a very specific story in the core book. I mean, like, he, he, you got the sense that Gage had some freedom here to kind of tell a story, you know, like, even, even if he ended up kind of changing the direction of a character from the main book and, and Clayton, I mean, like, it just, this, this book didn't feel, you know, we talked about Clayton being on a leash in this book. This book didn't feel like it was on a leash. Yeah. I, I wonder if that's the lesson of Secret Wars is that, if you give everybody free reign to a certain degree to tell a story, you know, they, they're more fun and it just leave the core event to do its own thing to some, to some degree. I mean, I, I've been on the record, like I've loved all of the tie in stories to civil war too, mainly because on a character to character basis, it changes how involved it is. Like spider woman is an exciting book. Uh, because she's good friends with Captain Marvel. But, like, Spider-Man 2099, it may say Civil War II on the cover, and maybe it's annoying that it's not tying into it more, but, like, I'm a la- I'm happy it's just doing its own thing and doesn't feel the need to be so forced to tie into that book. Yeah. You know, Miles, we can have another conversation about, but... <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I don't think his problems have anything to do with the event this time. No, no, but... You know what? What what does what does the event and Miles have in common? And I think that might be what where the problem is. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, But anyway, um, yeah. So, so what else do we want to say about about this storyline, Dan? I mean, it's like I said, a lot of fun, um, good art, uh, good character work. um, You know, sympathetic to, to Clayton. What specific? Um... I mean, first of all, I, w- I want to talk about two characters that I think come out of this book. Uh, if they didn't look good before, they look great now. Um, and that's Harry Lyman Osborne, mm-hmm. um, who I thought played a really great role in this book and continues to play a great, great role as like Peter's right hand man, which is like this guy who was a reformed supervillain who can kind of further back up and monitor Peter's, you know, philosophy on allowing pe- – giving people a second chance. But then also Cole as Clash. Uh, I can't wait to read more about this character. And I don't love necessarily where he ends up as this kind of like black cat-ish mob figure um, who seems to be assembling. Or maybe even if there's an implication he's kind of a Robin Hood. He's robbing from Roxxon. You know, at, at the end, but um, it does seem that it does seem that all these characters like to like assemble their goons in a bar. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's the We've, place to do it. At least you get drinks. You know, I, I guess I just didn't realize there was so much racketeering going on in New York City's bars. Uh, I got I got to keep my eyes open for that next time I do a happy hour. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but I, I I just love. I mean, I think Dan Slot set this up, and and I. I'm not super cold on learning to crawl. I think it kind of fumbled its ending, but like I like the character presented there. This is a kind of a twisted version of Peter who like Peter didn't do anything totally awful in, in his youth. He didn't break a law. His uncle died and that haunts him. But like Clayton is haunted in the same way, but his deals with like the legal system and it's an interesting parallel for the real life where people go into the you know, prison and come out and that sentence haunts them for the rest of their life. But it also is an interesting flip side of the coin to Peter. Yeah, and I agree. I think on paper, learning to crawl 
did what it needed to do. Um, you know, I just think kind of the journey in getting there was where the slog happened. Um, and, and, you know, Clayton, Clayton, when first presented, um, in that story, just kind of, you know, not for lack of a better comparison, just kind of felt way too much like alpha, which was the other big impetuous teen character that slot had created. It almost felt like, um, you know, that was the only kind of character beats that Slot knew how to wrote, write for from a teenage male character. Here, I mean, the, the, you know, and maybe just the sheer fact that Clayton is an adult now, but like, there was, there was a lot of layers here. Um, you know, like this is, this, this, this character has unquestionably been reformed, not in the, in the sense of, you know, his criminal reformation, but as a character. I mean, like, I, I think there's some real mileage for this character now. I, I wouldn't mind, um, see, and I, I, th- I remember even writing at the end of the first issue when, you know, Ulysses had his vision. I was like, okay, I'm kind of intrigued to see where this is going. And, and I think someone responded to it by saying, eh, I don't really know if I care where clashes, but I, I, I don't think you could honestly read this whole series and at the end be like, and still say, I don't care where clashes, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. But what do you think about like Peter coming out of this? He, he learned a lesson of sorts about, Allowing people to make mistakes and not micromanaging them, I guess. And, and, and did you find that a satisfying moral uh, conclusion here? Yeah, I mean, I, I did to a point, but I, 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 I you know, again, I, I, I do think that um, the last issue, not that it was a letdown per se, but. Um, it did get quite muddy at the end as it was trying to transition back to the main Civil War II. And I felt even like when we were trying to kind of get the moral of the story out there, um, I mean, what you just described succinctly to me is the moral of this story, you know, like like not to kind of leap to conclusions, um, but like, you know, there was like this whole riff about, well, you know, maybe I'll use the Ulysses, but not not to like, you know, cheat at business. And it's like, and I just remember like seeing that line that like alluded to that, like, oh, I wouldn't use it to get an unfair advantage in the business world. And I'm like, well, well, no kidding. Who's suggesting that? You know what I mean? Like, like what, what, that's, that's, that's not what the lesson of the story. I mean, the lesson of the story is, you know, like you need to, you know, just because this guy sees something doesn't mean that's how it's going to play out. Like you have to see the evidence before you and then make, still make a responsible decision, you know, use it's, it's power and responsibility. You know, this guy's got this power to, to do these things. How do you do that in a responsible way? You, are, you know, if you're impulsive and impetuous, you're going to make a bigger mess for yourself. But if you kind of like be more pragmatic and measured about it, then, then this could be a very useful tool to have. Um, so, um, again, I, I, I feel like that actual moral got a little muddied in how it was written at the end. And I don't know if that was because, you know, they had to, again, service Civil War II as a larger story and not so much the Spider-Man elements of it. Well, it does seem like an odd takeaway that he ends up, like, agreeing with Captain Marvel. I mean, I guess to a certain point he proved that Ulysses' powers, like, were right. I mean, Clash did suit up and attack him, you know, and, and cause a problem. But in his abandonment of using Ulysses... You'd think he would argue a bit more with uh, Captain Marvel about 
whether or not she should be using him. Yeah, like, you know, should we should you be acting first and asking questions later? Because if Peter asked questions first, maybe this doesn't happen to Clayton or maybe it still does. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the crux of that's the drama. Um yeah, I agree too about kind of ending the arc on this, you know, I'm willing to fight for this for this point. I mean, like nowhere nowhere in this comic did I get the sense that you know, this guy would be someone that Peter is willing to lay down for, you know, <laughs> like, You're right. Um, so that, that was certainly disappointing that that's how they decided to wrap it up. But, um, I, I want to say like this series totally threw me for a loop. It went in a direction I was not expecting. And cause when I heard, first heard about the Ulysses thing, I thought, Oh, clearly Peter is going to use this to talk about, I could have prevented Uncle Ben and his death and and we can prevent deaths in that way. And I'm so glad we didn't go down that road, which I think has been kind of gone down a, a lot of times. And so like Christos Gage, great idea. Whoever came up with this idea, I'm guessing it was Christos. Like this is, this is a great idea for a story. Um, so, yay, hats off to him. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, what's, what's your grade on it? I'm giving this one an A minus. It's good to say A minus. Good for you, Dan. I'll, I, I, I'm I'm still in the B zone, but it's a high B. It's a B plus. Um, I, I I enjoyed it a lot too. As I, I would hope most of my reviews conveyed. Um, again, I think if it ended a little stronger, I probably would be right up on your level, Dan. But you know, the ending was a little. And to me, and and you know, again, just to a larger point, if you couldn't tell in all the digs I'm taking at it, I I am just not a fan of Civil War two. Um, probably one of my least favorite events that we've gotten, and we've had a couple of duds. Not counting Secret Wars, we've had a couple of duds over the last few years, but this one really is kind of going nowhere for me. So um, maybe that was kind of coming through too in in my read of the last issue. Well, you know, for me, I think I just I, I'm I could be artificially inflating it because I think issue three of this series was the best Spider-Man like family like related issue that I've read in a in a, in a very long time. Yeah, I think I gave it what an eight and a half for a nine or something. I yeah, mean, I gave yeah. it a, I gave it a pretty good grade. So um, yeah, agreed with you on that one, Dan. That was definitely the highlight. Um, well, Dan, why don't why don't you uh, Cut away and talk a little bit about our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. Stand a little straighter, walk a little prouder, be an innovator, laugh a little louder, joke around the crater, we can show you how to. And when will you be there? You belong, you belong, you belong, you belong to the very marble marching society. Hey everyone, Dan here. I've got to be quick this week because we've got an extra special message to get to. But first, I'm very happy to welcome a few new members into our club. Welcome to the friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, Clint Buckler and Alejandro Valencia. And a big thank you to all our continuing members. It's your patronage that allows Mark and I to continue podcasting. Speaking of patronage, one of our top rewards for joining the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, which you can do so 
on the front page of our website is that after being a member for a while, you can make your own announcement on the show about whatever you want. So our biggest supporter and the first person to have this privilege is none other than Doc Scott McElroy. Take it away, Doc. Greetings, webheads. This is your friendly neighborhood orthodontist, Scott McElroy, a.k.a. Dr. Spidey, on Twitter and Instagram. As a fellow patron and card-carrying member of the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, Dan and Mark have invited me to be part of the show today, and they've given me carte blanche to talk about whatever I wanted to related to Spidey. Now, I'm a lifelong Spidey fan. I've been actively collecting all Spidey comics, toys, games, and memorabilia for as long as I can remember, and I'm really blessed that I have a spacious orthodontic office in San Ramon, California, that I can display all of my Spidey swag that I've collected over the years. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to use the time that Dan and Mark have given me to talk to you all about the importance of excellent oral hygiene. Instead, what I really want to talk about is something that's very near and dear to my heart, namely the weekly Twitter event called Hashtag Drunk Pete. Now, I know that Drunk Pete has been given a shout-out on a couple of previous episodes of the podcast, but I thought that it would be great to expand on it just a little bit. As a lot of you guys and gals already know, there's just an amazing community of comics fans on Twitter. Unlike in my day-to-day real life where nobody I'm friends with reads comics, I've met so many super cool people online who share the same passion for the webhead as me. And one of these awesome people goes by the name of Ben Merritt, a.k.a. Comic Fiend, on Twitter. Well, Ben and I have been Twitter buddies for going on five years now, always discussing our favorite wall crawler and life in general. Now, about three years ago, Ben and I were both reading the Spider-Man Chronicle at the same time, and we talk about this source book on Twitter together. And there was an entry in that book regarding the classic Web of Spider-Man issue 38, written by Fabian Nietzietza and drawn by Alex Savick from 1988, where Peter Parker accidentally ingests spike punch at a party and subsequently goes on to fight the Hobgoblin while drunk. Ben had never read this issue before, and he just couldn't believe that Peter Parker actually got drunk in a comic. I verified this fact, having fond memories of reading that particular issue back in 88. A few months later, Ben had tracked down a copy of Web 38, and he and I talked about reading it together on Twitter when another Spidey fan suggested that we all read it while also having a beer. And so, on Sunday, January 5th, 2014... The first hashtag Drunk Pete was born as Web of Spider-Man issue 38 was live-tweeted by a group of five like-minded Spidey fans. Man, it was so great. Now I'm not a barfly by any stretch of the imagination, but I can imagine that it was just like talking to your friends at a bar, having beers, and raving about your favorite superhero, but in the safety and comfort of your home with no need for a designated driver. We had so much fun live-tweeting that issue that we decided we should pick another issue and do the same thing next week, and that's what we did. And we've been doing it every Saturday night going on for almost three years now. I might not have been able to participate in every weekly Drunk Pete, but that's the beauty of it. You can drop in and drop out at your leisure. And if you can't make it in one week, all you need to do is search the hashtag Drunk Pete on Twitter, and you can see what you've missed. It's a ton of fun. And the only requirement is a love for Spider-Man and a desire to share that love on the Internet. And even though it's named Drunk Pete, the consumption of alcohol is not a requirement. We have a lot of members who drink Gatorade or water while live-tweeting the books. I'm a beer fan myself, and I enjoy trying different labels, so I really like the challenge of going to my local BevMo to try to find a label that's themed appropriately for the Spider comic that we're reading for that week. For example, when it's a comic featuring the villain Swarm, we usually select Boddington's Pub Ale due to its bees on the label. 
So it's not only giving me an excuse to reread old Spidey comics for my collection, but also to try new beers that I wouldn't have otherwise. Drunk Pete is every Saturday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. But remember, you can drop in and drop out at your leisure. Everybody reads the comics at a different rate of speed. The important thing is that you live tweet your thoughts and pics of the comics with the hashtag Drunk Pete so that everybody can follow along. Also, it's important to follow Ben Merritt on Twitter. And his Twitter handle is at comic underscore fiend because he'll start the shenanigans at 10 p.m. Eastern with a Drunk Pete roll call tweet. Again, if you search the Drunk Pete hashtags a few days before, you'll usually find a tweet concerning that week's selected comics. But there's also a Drunk Pete Facebook group that you can join. Just search for hashtag Drunk Pete and request to join. With 54 years of Spidey history behind us, we usually don't repeat past Drunk Pete selections, but on the first Saturday of January, we always reread Web of Spider-Man number 38, since that's the Drunk Pete anniversary. Okay, let's review. Drunk Pete. A Twitter event every Saturday night starting at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific. Wait for Comic Fiend's roll call. Check the Drunk Pete hashtag on Twitter or the Drunk Pete Facebook group and calendar for the Spidey comic being covered. Have a tasty beverage handy while you read, but alcohol is not a requirement. And the most important item, come with a love for Spider-Man and be prepared to have a ton of fun. Also, if you have any questions about Drunk Pete or Spider-Man in general, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Spidey. I'm always available to discuss everyone's favorite wall crawler. Excelsior, Spider fans, and may your web shooters always be filled. Well, thanks, Doc. And I hope you all decide to join into this weekend's Drunk Pete event on Twitter. The last order of business is that I have two books to give away, as announced on the previous show. And I'll just get to the point here. I'm going to skip past all the suspense and say that Elliot Santiago should check his mail, as I'll have Spider-Man swing by and drop them off for you. Thanks again to Doc Spidey, and back to the show, everyone. He's covered in bees. You need titles while he's covered in bees. Actually, he's permanently covered in bees. Actually, he's permanently covered in bees. He's coming for this podcast. He's coming for you. He's coming for this podcast. He's coming for you. It's time for Swarms B title reviews. It's time for Swarms B title reviews. Well, everybody, welcome back. That's our theme song for Swarms B title reviews. And uh, I guess it is my pleasure to invite. The host of the show, I guess, Swarm. At good, true believers. <laughs> Bring it again. Ain't into your silly jokes and nonsense. It's time for these inferior specimens of humanity to give their 60-second reviews of books they deem unworthy of providing a full review for. And again, any book that doesn't star Thread Skull or Baron Zemo, is unworthy to my skeletalize. <laughs> hey, Swarm, I wanted to ask you. Uh, a couple weeks ago in North Carolina, they sprayed for the, the Zika virus, and they killed, like, millions of bees. What did you think about that genocide? Yes, well, you know, we don't like to talk about genocide too much around here because, you know, that can lead to things. But, um, you know, people are afraid of Zika. You know, wait till the vengeance of bees comes and takes everyone over for killing the Zika. Alone. All right, and he just stormed out of here 
or he slash millions of bees stormed out of here. He, he stormtrooped his way out. <laughs> yeah, Mark, did anything sting you on the way out? Um, no, I, I, I actually, when he comes over, I, um, I get like one of those beekeeper suits and I just kind of like hang out in the corner of my, my apartment waiting <laughs> for him to do, do a shtick. Like, you know, at least with Flash, you know, I give him a drink. We talk a little bit. He'd insult you. We'd laugh about that. Um, I'm definitely afraid of swarm. <laughs> so I just let him kind of come and go. Um, I'm kind of glad that was a shorter segment because I don't know. He got too riled up. The Zika thing really seemed to piss him off, Dan. So we got to watch out for that, all right? I hear they're doing it in Maryland, too, where my family is. So now I'm going to have to warn them about Swarm. All right. Well, anyway, uh, of course, the, 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 I almost called them the Flash reviews. The, the, the Swarm B-Book reviews uh, are 60 seconds long. They're of all the B-Books. Um, and, Dan, our first one is going to be Silk Number 12. Shall I start or do you want to start? You, Go, you, for it. Go for it, Mark. All right, well, count me in in three, two, one, I guess. All right, go. <laughs> oh, uh, despite being a little unsatisfied by the shift in the status quo the last time out, I actually enjoyed the misadventures of Cindy and friends in the negative zone. Uh, this was definitely one of the stranger out of left field issues of Silk that we've had to date. But I actually kind of like the fact that the creators are taking things in a bold new direction and trying to distinguish the tone and voice of this book from all of the other spider books. Uh, plus, Robbie Thompson's dialogue involving three teenage girls was very jaunty and bouncy. Had a beat and I could dance to it, so I'm going to give it a buzzworthy. All right, Mark, I'm trying to picture you dancing because you still haven't done that video of you dancing down the street yet. Was that was that from an episode four years ago, Dan, or three years ago? <laughs> a very long time ago. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dan, I will catch you in in three, two, one. Yeah, Mark, I'm on the other side of the fence on this one. The shift to medieval warfare, talking dragons, and negative zone travel from the semi-grounded web-swinging swinging heroics of New York City was just a shift way too far for me. Cindy is looking for her normal... I mean, like, non-superpowered parents, and somehow we've ended up in Game of Thrones. I, don't, I, I just don't really know how to get over my immediate repulsion to this shift. While I typically enjoy the low-stakes dramas of Robbie Thompson's writing, this is one of those times, like a spider-fly effect story, where I just can't even get on board with the central premise. So, I'm saying nine. Nine, 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 nine! Wow, some harsh words. I mean, Mr. it was fine, but, like... It just so out of nowhere for me. (laughs) All right, Dan. Well, speaking of out of nowhere, let's talk about Spider-Man number eight. All right. In three, two, one. So, Dan, did you hear that Miles is going to be one of the greats? No, I didn't hear this. How how do I know this? Because the comic keeps telling me this month after month. Not showing me, but telling me. Look, I get that Miles is a very important character to the Marvel Universe, but Marvel and Brian Michael Bendis simply have to do a better job building and developing this character uh, than what they've done in this series so far. Uh, More or less having telling people just to shut up and accept that Miles is the best is only going to foster backlash amongst readers. The series was promoted as the Spider-Man book while Peter went off to play Tony Stark. Uh, but right now I think that itch is being better scratched from books like Spider-Gwen or Silk. Miles is treated with such kid gloves here. His struggles are not compelling and feel manufactured. And giving him such a prominent role in an event that Bendis is also writing to me feels lazy. I'm saying nine. Harsh words, Mark. Well, not happy with Miles. It's, I think if the book wasn't 
really so prominent right now, I would consider dropping it. But I don't want to, you know, like it's. I feel like it's still too important to the central Marvel situation. So anyway, yeah. uh, I will count you in in three, two, one. Yeah, how this issue handles race, Civil War II, or any of its other elements. They're all secondary to, to me to the one defining attribute of Miles Morales' character since his inception, and that's that he's a passive reactionary character. He sat back and watched Peter get killed by the goblin, and it's kind of become his defining trait ever since, save for the best story in his run, which saw him taking on Roxon progressively, proactively. He was the, the moving force in that story. And here... Like usual, Miles does nothing but watch other heroes do what they're doing while reacting whatever way Bendis wants him to react. And I'm unsure of what Miles will do in Civil War II, what decision he'll make, because I know literally nothing about who Miles is as a character even five years into his run. Is it too late to beg and plead for the return of Ultimate Peter Parker? I'm saying nine. Nine, 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 nine. Yeah. It's sad, because I... I... I think the Marvel Universe needs Miles Morales, but I think they need a Miles Morales that's a fully fleshed out character, and that's not what we're getting. And we've gotten flashes of it here and there. Like, to me, the best Miles stories took place when he gave up being Spider-Man. And yeah, and, that, and I liked a lot of his stuff with his uncle yeah, in the beginning as well. That's exciting stuff, too. But... um. But, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said in my thing, I mean, at what point does do we get a real backlash starting? Because it, it's, 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 it's tempting, it, in my opinion, you know? Like, I don't know. Did you see the solicit for December's issue where he's glowing yellow? No. His god powers are coming back. The super venom sting. I bet you're excited about that. Oof. Yay. So speaking of Miles, let's talk about Civil War II number five. Yes. All right, Mark, I'm counting you in in three, two, one. Yeah, so more Bendis. And, and, and Dan, you know, since I've already kind of riled up, I'm going to plainly say it. This series is a big flop for me. I mean, we're five issues in. And after just kind of shouting about the ramifications of trusting Ulysses without really showing exactly what the complexities of the situation is, this fifth issue basically cribs Minority Report with its big reveal at the end, an idea that would have been better served being established, I think, far earlier in this series, not now. Um, the thing is, just, it's just a general mess, and uh, it relies on characters Characters doing random things to each other uh, that in turn will just build to more random books being released by Marvel. It sounds a lot like the first Civil War, in my opinion. Uh, my expectations were low out of the gate, but this is shaping up to be Marvel's worst event in years. And considering I say that every year, maybe Marvel should really reconsider some of their events, but that's not going to change. Uh, nine for me. Except for Secret Wars, the like lone holdout. Yeah, well, but, but Secret Wars is just so its own thing. It's also like, you know, at the end of the day, a, a Jonathan Hickman Fantastic Four story that just so happened to cross over to other books. Yeah, but, yeah absolutely. And, and, and we don't tell Fantastic Four stories anymore in Marvel. <laughs> so. Apparently they told the best one there was to tell, and now it's over. Yeah, so anyway, you come in in three, two, one. 
Yeah, Mark, I feel like this is the issue that this series has been building towards. And while it mainly worked for me, the publishing schedule and pacing of this event has taken a serious toll on my enjoyment of the book. Uh, this probably should have been the third issue of the series, foregoing the pointless death of the Hulk. And I would have been far more intrigued by the shocking ending of this issue, a shock that we've already seen several times before in this series. And I wanted to be a bit more shocked by it, like, but... Again, I, I, I inherently already don't trust it. So one of my takeaways, though, is I'm glad people are finally coming to blows, even though I have still have no empathy for Captain Marvel's perspective. And the Guardians of the Galaxy backed her up by just saying, like, I think Ulysses is great. And that's about the depth of it. That said, if I could skip past this event to a new status quo with a Marvel universe divided by age, as it seems we'll be getting, I... I would gladly skip past this event because that status quo is super exciting to me. So I guess I'm giving this one a buzzworthy, but it's just so borderline. All right, dude. Last book of the week here. Carnage number 12. All right. I'm counting you in in three, two, one. Um, maybe I was not in the right frame of mind when I read the book this week. I mean, but with these negative reviews, and maybe I was in the right frame of mind, period. But uh, anyway, I, I had a very hard time following this narrative. And I'm starting to wonder uh, that the very thing that I had previously praised this series for, that it's not your usual Carnage book, is now it's Achilles' heel. I, I, I'm not finding uh, many of the uh, comics elements to be all that recognizable. And the book has also struggled in establishing the supporting cast, i.e. the... the the anti-carnage task force outside of uh, John Jameson and Eddie Brock. There's also just an over-reliance on mystic weird stuff and people being controlled and mind-linked at random intervals with others. Uh, I mean, there's always a chance this book can refine its footing. Uh, but I think the general takeaway, once again, is Carnage is best in small doses, even if you're going to treat him more as an ancillary character out of the gate like Conway and Perkins did here. So I'm saying nine. Nine, 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 nine. All right, Mark, count me in. If you will, in three, two, one. Yeah, I agree that there's likely too much random mysticism going on in this series. It's perhaps just one too many symbiotes running around. But I'm still digging it, and uh, I think this recent issue is a standout. Um, I love the visualization of Jubilee's merger with Cletus Cassidy's mind. Even if his backstory is the standard abusive parents, blah, 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 push the granny down the stairs kind of thing. There's an interesting moral question, though, asked of Brock here that's reinforced by the backstory that we witness uh, in their jail cell. And I'm interested to see how Brock is tested moving forward in regards to his willingness to save innocence versus destroying carnage. And I'm excited to see just how the status quo of all these characters is shook up by the end of this series. So I'm still saying buzzworthy. All right, Dan. You're far more positive this time. I'm the one book, in a good mood this week. And the one book I liked you thought was kind of beyond the pale in its absurdity. So, um, you know, maybe this has become a movie podcast. There we go. We just disagree on everything. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you take us home? All right. You can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcast at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Ooh, say that ten times fast by searching Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a review. It's been great to see everybody following us on YouTube. We've got 
quite a following building over there. So if you're a YouTube fan, subscribe to us on YouTube and, uh, and get all our content there as well. Yeah, additionally, be sure to check out our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin. If you want to keep up with the adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy, yeah, don't let our our negative reviews of the book influence you uh, in terms of going over to Ultimate Spin. They still Uh, have a good discussion about it. Yeah, I'm sure they do. I mean, they then very, very thoughtful. Uh, and then Dan, last week we announced the launch of our new merch store. Um, what, what's the uh, what's your favorite item that we're selling right now? You know, I bought a couple T-shirts, but I, I, I one of the things I really liked that actually came in the mail today was I bought uh, a laptop case with the Amazing Spider Talk logo on it, and I'm going to use it as my kind of like mobile studio for a show whenever we have to do like. Comic-Con interviews and stuff like that. I can put all my stuff in there. So it's cool to be able to put, like, that logo on, like, everything. And and so I've got this flashy new laptop case that I'm really pumped about. Sounds awesome, Dan. I I, I need to – I even need to take a closer look at the store. I think I looked mostly at the clothing items. So I I got to go exploring again. You just got to get that Chasing Amazing tee. Yeah, well, I, I got you know, I got my kid. I got my kid one. Oh, I mean, great. you know, so he can be a marketer for us. Exactly. He'll he'll be the hippest kid on the playground. Uh, <laughs> hippest kid in kindergarten. All those kids are going to be jealous about his collection of comic books. That's that's what kids are into these days, right? <laughs> yeah, and like his like, are you trying to claim that my collection is his collection? Come on. Well, it's going to be one day. You you tell yourself that. That sounds like a, that sounds like the right thing to do. You're but, burying you know. yourself with your comics. Is that what you're implying? I'm gonna be in a tomb with my comics. <laughs> <laughs> I'll use the comics to buy a tomb. How about that? <laughs> Maybe you'll clone yourself, and uh, and that's how it's all gonna work out. There you go. Well, speaking of which, Mark, we're <laughs> we're launching into the clone conspiracy. Although not those titles specifically, we're gonna be talking Amazing Spider-Man 19, which. I guess is that still considered Road to Dead No More or whatever before Dead No More, or are we full on into this thing now? I, I think that the arc officially kicks off in this issue, um, and then Clone Conspiracy follows soon after in, in early October. So um, we're, we're, we're gearing up, man. We're gearing up. And Dan Slott has been kind of trumpeting this whole, you know, make sure you're. Uh, your store is purchasing and ordering enough copies of the clone conspiracy. So make sure you guys make sure that that book is on your pull list. So you can join us for all those conversations. Yeah. It will be interesting to see if, if there's any adverse effects of that, not sharing like the main title, you know, in terms of, cause it sounds like clone conspiracy is, where the main narrative is going to be taking place, even though it's not the main series. So, yeah, the I, bizarre marketing campaign they've been doing with the you know confusion of the two names. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Amazing Spider-Man proper outsells Clone Conspiracy the main say, story. Yeah, if the main story is only selling fifty thousand copies, and the and this and the B the B book, so to speak, is selling a hundred, that's probably a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Mark, where are we going to find you on the internet this week? Well, of course, uh, you can find uh, past writings of mine at superiorspidertalk.com and chasingamazingblog.com. And then you can always find me tweeting on Twitter at chasingasmblog, talking comics, talking fantasy football. Uh, maybe by the time this podcast comes out, the New York Mets will be in the baseball playoffs or playing for the wild card. Uh, so, you know, you can share my agony on that. 
Um, you know, Dan, I know you love to share my baseball agony. Not really. No, I know I do. I, I just went to a Dodgers game the other night. I love baseball. I just have been so busy. I haven't been able to follow this year. I think but, the Orioles are, Orioles are still in the hunt right now. So yeah, they are. Yeah. You know, go O's and go Dodgers. I can root for two teams apparently. You're, you're like Randy Newman. You just love L.A., right? I do love L.A. I actually yeah. had that emotion yesterday. I was like, I love it here. Oh, my God. that That's, like, different from, like, six months ago. <laughs> no, it, it really is. Maybe I just had a good day. But, uh, yeah, you can well, follow my musings about L.A. baseball and mostly Spider-Man at Sup Spider Talk on Twitter. And like Mark said, SuperiorSpiderTalk.com is the place to find all the good Spider-Man stuff that we're up to. Awesome. All right, Dan. So what what kind of wacky situation are you going to hit me with here? Well, Mark, while your Uncle Ben was always such a hero, I heard that he had a bit of a checkered past, you know. At the very least, that he acquired a bit of a police record, you know, running with mobs and so on. He vowed to go clean and stay away from crime, but what kind of activities got him in trouble in his youth? No, 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 Dan. You're 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 misremembering here, or not misremembering? I think you're 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 being um, you're not being literal enough. Um, he, my, my uncle, kind of like his mob ties. You know, when he made ties for the mob, uh, actually has um, quite a collection of records by the police, the band, the police. He oh. loves the police. He loves, he has a lot of police records. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know. It's a silly mistake. Right. Um, you know, but, but you know, the police, when they first came out, I mean, they were kind of an edgy, you know, proto punk, not proto punk, but you know, like they were a really unique sound and Somewhere virtuosity. someone who's interested in punk rock just died of a heart. I know. I'm sorry. I didn't say proto punk. You could, you could edit that out, but he won't edit that out. This is going to just embarrass me. Um, but you know, the police obviously really, really interesting, unique band. They had and, a lot of do's and a lot of does. Yeah. Well, well, come on. That's like, that's, that's like late police. I mean, go to like, you know, talk about like, you know, they're, um, can't stop loving, uh, or, uh, ah, what's that song? Every breath you take. No, that's a late police song. Uh, like close, uh, next to you or, um, uh, when the world goes running down, you know, that's kind of more of the police I'm, that uncle Ben was into. Oh, yeah. Um, but, 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 you know, I'm anyway. only just learning about this. Okay, but but you know he, um, believe it or not, was uh, he went to go see the police at Shea Stadium when they played oh. back in the in the eighties. Ah, there's uh, the, there's the Mets tie-in. Well, well, there's the Mets tie-in, but it, you know while he was there, um, you know he was there with his friend Ned, and Ned got like abducted by this guy in a green suit. And, um, you know, they started, you know, they, 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 they hung him up over on the scoreboard. And, like, as this is all happening, Sting just starts screaming out, don't stand so close to me. Um, you know, which is how he wrote the song, don't stand so close to me. Oh. Um, and, and, you know, as this, all this, you know, cacophony of noise and confusion and chaos is happening, um, the scoreboard fell over and killed my uncle Ben, uh, which, uh, made him said, let me put this message in a bottle for you with great podcast must also come amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next instant.